You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. Welcome to another episode. I'm very excited today. I have a good friend and a wonderful musician with us, Mr. George Mataloni. George, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rick. It's great to be here. Oh, it's very nice to see you sitting in the seat here in the studio. You know, studios are kind of a thing of the past to some degree. I still record in various studios, commercial studios, but commercial studios are kind of out. We live in an era of home studios. It's a lot cheaper, but the problem that you run into with home studios is a lot of people don't have the experience of your average studio owner or your average engineer, so they don't always have the best equipment, and then they got to make do with what they got, and it, it just doesn't sound the same. George, you are a major exception to that rule. As far as I'm concerned, you have a commercial studio. Without being commercial, it's a home studio. How did you achieve this? Thank you, Ricky. Uh, lots of research on equipment, trial and error, finding out about different microphones and where they come from, using expensive microphones, and A being the lesser expensive microphones against the more expensive mics, and just just by trying things out. I've listened to many recordings from your studio. I'm working in your studio right now. One of the reasons is I know I'm not going to compromise any sound quality or anything like that. You have this thing about you where you can find these fantastic mics. They may sound like off-brand mics. They may not be the big commercial brands that everybody knows about, but they're comparable to those brands, and you get them for ridiculously low prices. I mean, to me, that that's an, a real achievement, and you're very knowledgeable about them. How did this begin? Where did you first see these microphones, and what kind of deals have you gotten? I'm fascinated by some of these deals. Almost any retailer online. I deal a lot with a company called Zounds. They're out of New Jersey. They carry a large selection of cheaper microphones. They also have high-end microphones. I, have, I do have a few of those. I'm able to compare the two. But almost anyone that wants to start a home studio today could do it for almost next to nothing and put out a professional product by just doing research. It's amazing to me. By just doing research, you could save a fortune. I'm going to start a microphone I started using back in the 80s, an AKG, which was, you know, a $4,000 mic in some cases. You've gotten stuff comparable to this. I've heard them. And you've got them for like, 49 bucks. Even less, Ricky. 25. There was a company out of Canada called ISK, and their mission is to put out high quality stuff. So, in, in other words, their microphone that I bought was only $25, but you would have to spend three to five times as much to get a microphone of that quality. Mm-hmm. They're looking to put out the, the best, uh, the highest quality products, including headphones, speakers, at very, very, very good prices. Very affordable for the home musician. Well, very affordable indeed. I mean, these microphones are top-notch. They got great sound. You know, I, I realize for a lot of our listeners, this is a very technical conversation about microphones, but I know that there's some people out there that have home studios that are going to be very interested in this conversation. Home studios, they're all the rage now. I mean, it, I guess most of them are, are run by computers. You, you use Sonar, for example. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, actually, Ricky, I went from Sonar to Reaper. Tis true, uh, tis true, yes. I do like both those uh, uh, digital audio workstations, or DAWs as they're called. It's great programs, and now you can even get Sonar for free. 
because it was taken over by a company called Banlab. Well, originally it was uh, Cakewalk. Then it went, Roland took them over. Roland left them, and then Gibson took over Sonar. Then Gibson dropped them. Now this new person, this new company, can't remember the guy's name, but he's, he's an Asian guy, very wealthy. He took over the company and the software, and just he keeps developing it further and further. But the best thing is he made it free. I've spent quite a lot of money on that program over the past nine, ten years, upgrading each time they came out with a new version annually. Now the wonderful thing is you can download it for free by going to www.bandlab.com. And not that I'm endorsing them, but... You could have fooled me, George. You're like a you're like the perfect <laughs> spokesman for BandLab. It's excellent. You know, I remember back in the day, this is mid-90s and prior, the microphones that I like to use, and I, I was kind of a microphone guy myself because I'm a singer and, and a guitar player, and I, I learned along the way what sounds good for me. may not have worked for other people, but for my voice and my style of guitar playing, they seem to work. I love those C414s, of course, mm -hmm. for acoustic guitar. Sennheiser 421s were really big for, for vocals at the time. That gave way to Neumann U87s, which I still use all the time. You have microphones that are comparable to all these and much, much cheaper. What microphones took the place, in terms of the non-commercial ones, what took the place of these big guys? Almost any mic you buy today, you can get a beautiful microphone. 100 bucks, 200 bucks. I have some that are three and four hundred dollars. You know, brand names. I have a, a Shure SM27, which is a beautiful microphone. I call it a Shure SM57 on steroids. <laughs> the SM27 is a condenser mic, large diaphragm condenser. I have mics that are cheaper that were a hundred dollars. I just picked up a few more for like a buck 29, buck 50. That honestly, I think are even better. They sound better. I love condenser mics. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, for the listener, the three main kind of mics are condenser mics and diode mics, ribbon mics. I, I, I always see them as kind of the big three. Mm -hmm. There are so many different kinds of mics, but condenser mics uh, I just love. And I, you know what I like is uh, your M, M3, the Rode mic. That is, what is that? Is that a... a uh, That's a condenser. That, that is a condenser mic. Okay. And it's very much, but even better than... The, I mean, if, if you saw this mic and compared it to the AKG C1000S, mm -hmm. it's almost identical looking. Same thing, you unscrew it, you can put a battery in it. Cool looking mic. It's a fan-empowered mic, or you could just use fan and power from your board. It's all black, whereas the AKG was gray and with a silver grill. And the M3, yes, it's a, it's a Rode. They're an Australian company, and they make fantastic products. I mean, what other company you know gives you a 10-year warranty on a microphone? Not too many. And I didn't realize they were Australian. I always thought they were Russian for mm -hmm. some reason. Uh, what about the CAD? Who makes CAD? Where, where do they come from? CAD is, again, it's a Chinese mic. It comes from China. Those Chinese, man. Yes, they know what they're doing. They know <laughs> sound. They know chicken. They know bridges. I don't, they know, and they they know their stuff. And they know martial how to arts, get it to you. Martial arts yes. as well. <laughs> good, good point. Good martial point. arts, yeah. Yes. So, George, uh, jumping ahead a little bit, I want to tell our listeners, you are a wonderful musician. You're a great singer and a songwriter in your own right. I want to talk about that for a second. Thank you, Ricky. We'll get back to mics and, and equipment in a second. But when I first met you, I don't know, 25-plus years ago, you had a little studio in Red Hook, New York. Mm -hmm. It was, what, a 16-track studio? That was 16-track back then, yes. 
Yep. Uh, we, I had two Alesis ADATs. Actually, no, I'm sorry. Before that, I had a Tascam MS-16, a uh, one-inch 16 track. Well, I came in to do some work in that studio. It wasn't a commercial studio. It was just simply a friend of a friend or something like that. Came in, got to know you, luckily. We even wrote a song together that night. We can't remember what it is. But I wish we could. <laughs> I wish... To God, I had a, a, a copy of that now. It would be wonderful. But a few years ago, we came back in touch through unusual circumstances. and Which I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for it as well, George, because, man, we just started uh, riffing off uh, and being creative together and just coming up with all kinds of stuff. In fact, I'd like to show our listeners something that we worked on together. You do a lot of soundscapes. First, tell our audience about that. Yes, yeah, I, I, uh, I write, I got into the instrumental stuff. I do have a, a publisher. I have some placements that, that I've had. I've had some commercials done for Harley Davidson. It's just a lot of fun. I used to do the traditional singer-songwriter stuff, you know, that gig there. And uh, I don't know, I just lost my touch for lyrics and got into the instrumental stuff. And it's used to license out um, for TV shows and, yes. and various things. They're fun to do, mostly instrumentals. It kind of takes the pressure off having to, to write a song proper. Mm. Let, let's listen to a little piece that we wrote together. We wrote something we, we thought it would be good in like a horror movie or just some L.A. Law episode or something. I don't know. Sure. We, yeah. we call it Dread, right? Yep, yep. Did a lot of nice work on that too, Ricky. Oh, thanks, George. Well, why don't we take a listen to that? Sure, love to. was scary that was scary I, I felt tense myself that was our intent it was if I had a TV show I would rent that and I would use it for the show uh, so George back to you being a songwriter 
Mm. Your voice has always kind of reminded me of Dan Fogelberg's a little bit. There's a very good reason for that. You're a big Dan Fogelberg fan. Yes, I am a very big Dan Fogelberg fan. How come? I just respected the man as a musician. He was a great writer. I loved his lyrics. His voice was just incredible. And and I really admired the fact that he could uh, play any instrument, including on his last couple albums, everything. Captured Angel, he also did as a demo. And when he brought it to Irving Azoff, who was his... Uh, uh, manager, agent, producer, whatever at the time, Dan was like, yeah, now I'd like to call in some other musicians to play on this album. And Irving Azoff was like, why? Let's just release it as it is. Now, I do believe eventually Russ Kunkel came in and played the drums. Great drummer. Yes, he Played is. with James Taylor and oh. Joni Mitchell and many other people, Jackson Brown. Yeah, definitely. He's He's been around. He's a staple in the uh, industry no and doubt i think i believe he ended up doing it but that album captured angel is just incredible i mean he does all the arrangement of the strings dan fogelberg does and crazy a really talented guy unfortunately passed away way too early yes he did prostate cancer i believe he had mm -hmm, 2007 right? how old was he 53 54 uh 50 i believe he was 56 or 58 oh, okay sure, but I was lucky enough to talk to Dan Fogelberg one time, and I asked him how he dealt with reviews. Does he read them? Does he not read them? And he was such a plain-spoken guy. He just simply said, if they're good, I hang them on the wall. If they're bad, I chuck them in the fire. <laughs> that sounds like something I, he would say. And I thought that was great. But being a child of the 80s, you know, <laughs> I, I grew up listening to Dan Fogelberg music. Hard to say. It was a great hit. Oh, yeah. Same old Anxine. Great song. You, you usually only hear, hear it around the holidays. Right, um, right. But it's a wonderful song, and Run for the Roses. They just had the uh, Kentucky Derby recently, and uh, it made me think of that song. He wrote it for for the Kentucky Derby, I believe. So, you know, just a lot of great stuff. You, you kind of, I don't want to say you emulate him, but certainly the influence is there. I can hear it in your voice and in your writing, and, man, you do that stuff great. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you. In fact, I'd love to hear something of yours, if you don't mind. You have so many great recordings. This stuff stands as a great example of the microphones that you use, too, by the way. So it'd be great to play some stuff right here on the show. Do you have something in mind we could play? Sure. I have a song I wrote called Unconditionally that a lot of people thought Dan Fogelberg would have liked to have recorded. I bet he would. I'd love to hear it. And I would have liked him to record it even more than he might have wanted to record it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> well, let's take a listen to that song. Okay. Never 
did you get started as a songwriter? What, what was the impetus behind you know, starting to write? Actually, my sister got into the guitar and then she put it down. I saw it one day, picked it up, and then I haven't put it down since. Listening to uh, different people, even like John Denver, Gordon Lightfoot, Dan Fogelberg, Jackson Brown, the Eagles, just inspired me to want to start writing my own music, you know, as, as well as doing their songs. And, and I just went from there and just really started enjoying the, the writing and the singing and the playing and uh, I, I got involved with the Mid-Hudson Valley Folk Guild and I did a lot of sessions with them over about a six year time and did a nice WBOK Radiothon where we raised money for Special Olympics. People listened to us over the radio and then made pledges. I just, I just love it. How many songs do you have? With lyrics? The traditional songs? Traditionally, yeah. Probably close to if not more than a hundred. Wow, okay. Yeah. I, and, and how many do you really like? Like, could you go out and, and say, I, here's a song I'm proud of and, and play? Three. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I like a lot of what I did, but naturally, you know, you write maybe uh, three songs and two might be throwaway, or you might use yeah. the other two to come up with another song. Sure. Uh, I, think, I think one of my favorite songs I wrote is uh, Unconditionally. I do have another one called It's, it's Gonna Be Alright. I don't like to, to say I really like my own work. Oh, it's okay to say, though. Sometimes I... Uh, I love my own work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so far removed now from the singer-songwriter stuff with the instrumental. Right, which leads me to my next thing, because, I mean, you're a great engineer, George. I love working with you. Not only are you really easygoing, but you're so knowledgeable, and you've got such great creative ideas, and it's just a good good fusion, good synergy between us when we work. Definitely. What was yeah. that transition between writer and recorder of music when did that really start to kick in i know you've always had a studio as, as long as i've known you but you've just grown and grown since then and maybe being a songwriter is kind of taking a back seat to all of this 
It really has, Ricky. It really has. First of all, like I said, I started battling with trying to write lyrics. So, so that kind of uh, made me a little bit tired of... of uh, Not to interrupt, but I, I got to say, I understand that because I have struggled with that myself. I tell people that I could write a song every single day of my life. I would have... Well, I've been alive many days. I, I, I can't... I was told I wouldn't have to do math tonight. So <laughs> suffice it to say, I'd have twice as many songs or ten times as many songs as I, as I do if it weren't for those pesky lyrics. Sometimes it takes me three months to finish a song because I can't find the right words. Yeah, yeah. See, and, and as a songwriter, you have to get past that. You, I, I describe it as, you know, you're climbing a hill, you're climbing a hill, and everything's starting off pretty easy, but as you start to hit the top of that hill... You start trying to grasp more for, for different lyrics and they're just not coming and you have to get past yes. that point. I remember doing that all the years I used to write, but I, I guess I just somewhere pooped out and got tired of doing that. I understand. I understand. I, I'm compelled to write about my life, about other people's lives, about the, just whatever thoughts are coming through my head at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I can't stop it even if I wanted to and sometimes I've wanted to. It's like walking up that hill with lead boots and a hundred pound pack on your back yeah yeah so you transitioned into recording more and microphones and equipment and learning about how to record music and i'm very interested in and what really drew you in about that the expense of a studio (laughs) i said if i'm going to spend money (laughs) i'm going to buy my own equipment this way i always like the the fact that you know, you own your own studio, your own equipment. You're not in any kind of a rush to get things done. Although we do work really quick. You know, I mean, the average song takes me maybe two to three days to finish. And not full 24-hour days, obviously. Which is fast. Yeah, that's that's quick. I mean, it could take weeks to, to work on a song in the studio. Mm-hmm. Or and, if not longer. And the clock is ticking. And I think that has a lot to do with constricting your creativity. You're absolutely right. When I'm recording in the studio, I'm always conscious of time. Time is going by. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, okay, well, that guitar part cost me about $300 to get. And when you have to think that way while you're working, it does have an effect on how you work. One nice thing about your studio is I can come in there and I, I just feel relaxed. Like, eh, you know, if I get a little bit behind, you know, it's okay. I imagine that you feel that way while you're working. It doesn't really matter how much time you take. No, no. Although I still like to, to drive myself. To, to get something done. Right. You know, once you start something, it's like, you know, you're, you're putting down a, a bass part or a keyboard part. I just like to keep going with it. I mean, if I tuck her out and I get tired, you know, then I, then I stop. But there's never any pressure. There's never any pressure. And right. you play uh, a lot of stuff, too. You, you've got keyboards on your stuff that you play. Mm-hmm. You play bass. You play guitar. You're a great guitar player. i got to say that again. I Thank mean, you. you, you're Thank really you. a wonderful player. Always nice. To, oh, in fact, I want to point out that the theme to my show, the Rick Z Show theme, is something that we worked on together yes. in your studio. Mm-hmm. So for our listeners, take a listen to the theme that was recorded in George Mataloni's home studio, and you even play guitar on it. I did. Yeah, you're playing some riffs, especially toward the end. you got some great riffs. I, I love it. Somebody uh, suggested I edit that down because podcasts are only like 15 seconds of music before the announcer comes in. And this is like 30 seconds. 
And then somebody, and I was, I tried to do it with Rusty. We tried to edit it down, and it just wasn't really working. And then somebody said, hey, don't touch it. It sounds great just the way it is. Don't shorten it. So I said, oh, thank goodness. I'm not shortening it. So <laughs> it, it is always, sorry, people, it's going to stay that length. You just have to sit <laughs> through my theme. Unless nowadays you probably have a button. You can just fast forward past it. But It's, it's only another 15 seconds. It's only another 15 <laughs> seconds. Exactly. Uh, speaking of your studio and your music, George, I want to hear something else. Can we can we listen to something else of yours? Sure, I'll, I'll play a, a new one. I just did. Uh, it's, it's called. I, I called it the cowboy song because it reminds me of uh, something you might see in a western, a barroom brawl, a chase scene. It's pretty good. I like it. Great. Let's take a listen to it. Sounds good. Very nice, George. Very nice, like so many things that I've heard in your studio. Speaking of your studio and hearing things in your studio, you know what I'm hearing right now in your studio is me, which is really interesting. I'm doing a project right now in your studio. I'm so happy. We've only done one session, but it just went tremendously well. Yes, very, it did. Very productive environment. I'm in there working with a fellow musician of mine, my live partner, Carl Frizzell. We call him Kentucky. 
as a, as a nickname, and he's in there playing guitar, lead guitar mostly. I'm challenging myself by playing bass for a change and some keyboards and, of course, guitar and singing and just trying to invest myself a little bit more in, in the songs that are particularly personal to me. We also have this wonderful female singer. My gosh, is yes. she great. Josie Grant. You heard her sing. What did you think? Yes. No, she's got a great voice. I think it, it, it's really a pleasure to work with all of you because you're all fine musicians, uh, great songwriters. You make my job easy. Oh, thank you, George. <laughs> well, you make my job easy, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how this album is going to play out, what it's going to sound like. I know it's going to sound like a million bucks. I love what you've done with the studio. I, I love the equipment. I like your attitude. I like that you, you've kind of established a new way of thinking about recording in a way that you don't have to go for all the brand names. You don't have to go for all the expensive stuff. I think some people feel better if they got an expensive microphone that they're using, but mm. that's very misleading. One example is when I was a moderator on a, a place called Studio Tracks, guy was on there complaining he bought a Newman, Neumann, however you want to pronounce it, U87. One of my favorites. And he was not happy with it. He said no matter what he did, he could not get a good sound out of that mic. Uh, He ended up, I believe, he sold it and lost his shirt on it because, you know, once you buy something like that, you're not going to get the money for it again. Yeah. Maybe he had a bad one? I don't know. I doubt it, coming from Neumann. Well, I mean, the U87, it happened to pick up a lot of natural frequencies in my voice that I really Mm like. The U47, which is another very popular Neumann, and Mike, I just couldn't use it. So mm-hmm. I, I think it it depends on the singer. It depends on the w- what instrument you're playing. Of course, True. obviously, a lot of expensive mics are really great. But the point that you're making is you don't have to spend top dollar to get something that no. sounds great. No, you don't. You don't. I've never heard anybody say on a recording that was that vocal was recorded with a. $3,600 microphone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's either good or that vocal's not good. Uh, you know, the sound is not good at all. Ray Charles said something one time. He said, how does it sound? Tell me how it sounds. Show me how it sounds. Because mm-hmm. he got into uh, a discussion about equipment. Well, we used this. We didn't use that. Like, there's a proper way and an improper way to do it. And he said, in the end, how does it sound? I don't care if instead of a snare drum, you're banging on a door with a drumstick. How does it sound? And that's really key to recording. It's it's about how things sound. It's not really about right. how you got that sound. Exactly. Years ago, you had no choice. If you wanted a good recording, you had to spend the money. You did. There weren't as many microphones back then as there are today. There's so much, so many more options nowadays. Right. And, and not only microphones, but stuff, recording media. You have these uh, self-digital workstations now. When they first came out, they were using a hard drive. And now everything's going, gone uh, PC DAW or, or Mac. Mm-hmm. But they had these, Fostex put some stuff out that was uh, like a little 8-channel recorder onto a hard disk. You had Mackie, Tascam, all the companies. And this is what started the trend of the home studio. And I hate to say it, but it actually put a hurting on the bigger studios. The only studios that started surviving were the ones that had the big acts that had been around for That's right. several years. Oh, studios took a hit for sure. Yes. I remember the days of analog, recording analog. This is before there was any digital music at all. And people were splicing tapes and taping it back together and doing all this stuff. Now, I miss it, but you make me feel more comfortable about digital music 
because you, you're so adept at it, and you just make it look easy. And you're a nice guy, George Manaloni. Uh, I'm so happy that you were able to stop by today, grace our show with this conversation. Thank you, Ricky. We- I, I'm honored to be here as an invited guest. I appreciate that. Will you come back sometime and uh, continue this conversation? I definitely will. I would love that. You've been listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. Every week, the show is produced and engineered by Rusty Johnson. Come on back next week for another episode. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.